HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Domain. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. For more information, visit DomainStorage.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. I'm super excited for today's show. Uh, but before we get started, uh, I do want to mention that uh, for those of you who've been listening, you know that I've been uh, making a little bit of wine in Italy. It's called Anona. Um, you can find out more information about it at AnonaWine.com. If you ever want to contact me, just Joe at AnonaWine.com. Uh, we have a list of a ton of great restaurants that support us, such as The Nomad and Charlie bird and pasquale jones osteria marini and so many uh so many more um uh please uh please check out anona i hope that i uh, hope that you enjoy it um okay so this is uh i'm just really excited every week i feel like i say i have a friend on the show and uh, a lot of times they are friends sometimes they're acquaintances that i would like to be friends with but this is someone who is actually one of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, he has gone ahead and with his partner opened up a Michelin star restaurant in Washington, D.C. Someone who uh, we once are once rode a Vespa to Long Island together uh, on Suffolk one Vespa County. to Suffolk County. Uh, he's my buddy, Alex Zink. He is the general manager and owner of the Dabney um, in Washington, D.C. And uh, also in the studio is his partner, uh, Jeremiah Langhorn, who is the chef and owner, and uh, he might chime in, he might not, but I'm, I'm really happy to see him as well. Good to see you, too. Emotional support. <laughs> <laughs> I just say, uh, Alyssa and I went to the Dabney last year, and it was like a highlight of all meals of, of the year. You guys are doing incredible work. I loved reading the uh, Washington Post review, which said, Washington, doesn't D.C. doesn't need a chamber of commerce. Just everyone should go to the Dabney because it is such a love letter to that mid-Atlantic cuisine. Um, you guys are doing such great work there. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. We're really happy to be here. This is a, a long time coming, and I never expected to uh, 
be able to sit next to you at Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> it's, I, I can't believe we've been on air for over four years. It's like, Is it, it that long? It's oh been, God. yeah, since 2012. Wow. Um, it's ridiculous that it's taking this long to have you on the show, considering I, I text you and we get are in contact and on an almost, like, definitely on a weekly basis. 185th on the list? How many? <laughs> At this point. 185th is best. So uh, I realized that uh, my first job ever in the wine industry, I believe it was yours as well, Mm -hmm. was at Italian Wine Merchants. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've been able to do many different things in your career, work in retail, work in wholesale, as a sommelier at at McGrady's Restaurant, an American classic where you met Jeremiah and now own your own restaurant. But I realized I don't know where your your love of wine uh, first began. Was there a moment that, that got you into it? Um, I, I do think there is, um, between my junior and senior year in college, actually between sophomore and junior and then junior and senior year in college, summer break. Um, my father, actually, I, I think golf because we were a family, a golfing family growing up. My father wanted to do a golfing trip from, uh, Southern California through Northern California. And, um, he was always a traveler. He, he traveled a lot for business and, you know, with that comes wanting and dining, um, but being just around 20 years old, 21 years old, um, you know, kind of eating our way up Highway 1, um, it was kind of the first time that, that my brother and I and my dad kind of shared a bottle of wine um, at dinner. And, uh, you know, it was things back then like Sea Smoke or Sainsbury Pinot Noir or, or something like that. But um, really enlightening, really fun. Um, you know, you feel like a grown-up. And then uh, I, I think that was, that was kind of the epiphany. And, um, you know, it, it enhanced the food. It was you know, uh, kind of ceremonial around the table and we felt kind of a connection and, um, you know, just, you know, you have one bottle and then two bottles mm-hmm. and three bottles when you're 20 years old at, you know, um, some nice hotel, a nice hotel restaurant. And, uh, you know, it, it feels really special. Yeah. Um, and I think that was it. Yeah. And then, um, post, uh, after graduating Syracuse, I think, a a few months before, um, graduating, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, did a finance internship um, and hated it. Um, and uh, by that point, you know, it was 2003, 2004, watching a lot of the Food Network. Um, and uh, I love when cooking. there were real chefs on that show. When there were when real they... chefs on that show, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, started home cooking. Um, would uh, would you know would kind of wine and dine the girlfriend um in syracuse new york which you know doesn't say a lot but um you know parents were really encouraging uh you know throughout the di- throughout the idea of going to culinary school mm-hmm. um if i didn't want to be a chef at least it would benefit my life and someone else for the rest of my life um so graduated syracuse university um worked six months uh in a couple of restaurants around connecticut actually really great restaurants um one of them i, I still think was fantastic and i have the menus framed on my wall at home um went to culinary school while in cul- at the french culinary institute what was then the french culinary institute uh, in soho and uh what i thought to become a better chef i needed to know a little bit more about wine and wine pairings and uh got a part-time job at italian wine merchants and when you're uh watching a lot of uh you know the food network back then mario batali was was oh, on there quite a bit yeah. and, and plugging Oto and um italian yep. wine merchants um and I thought it was really cool. Was now was Italian wine merchants an internship at first, or was that a job? No, it was a part time job. Okay, yeah, three days a week, uh, coming in at three thirty or four um, to sell wine on the floor until eight or nine o'clock. 
And then there were the events at night. I say I feel like you you started there slightly before me, and I posed it as an internship. And yeah. um, and they were like, "Sweet, free like free labor. This is <laughs> this is great." And then eventually they they paid me at some point. Um, yeah, I don't remember what I got paid. I mean, it was probably seven fifty an hour or something, something like that. that. Definitely, but, definitely no commission on wine sales. <laughs> but we got to bring home incredible wine mm-hmm. at night, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what what do you remember of that time? I mean, for me, the the biggest thing, one of the biggest things, was was meeting you, meeting my future business business partner. Um, it was me and Catherine and, and uh, you know, we have so many friends from that time. Mm-hmm. What, do you, is there something that, that stands out to you from your time there? Wow. Um, I mean, obviously my developing my deep love of Italian wine. And, you know, at that point, I didn't really know much about wine. I, I enjoyed drinking it. Um, but then, you know, getting thrown into the wine world, starting with Italy, um, you know, which is incredibly challenging. But if, you know, which, uh, if you don't, probably remains one of the most challenging countries for you know any wine aficionado um, out there. So, getting our start there and understanding you know the you know Piedmont and Tuscany and southern Italy and, and you know northeastern Italy and, and, and all that right away. You know, cutting your teeth in there. And, man, Burgundy Burgundy seems easy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, more more just, logical at least. More lo- yeah, more def- <laughs> definitely. Um, but then the events. Uh, they had at night and, you know, where I remember 99 Jocosa Barbresco was just like the house wine, you know, and there was Quintarelli, Cotta Merlot, you know, every night. Um, you know, it was certainly beyond my palate at that point. But when you're priming yourself, you know, and, and drinking complex wines, I feel yeah. like it's a little bit of a heads up. And I remember realizing that these were special, but also not realizing how different it was Correct. from yeah. what, you know, what most people were drinking, what most, you know, right. it was an incredible way to kind of like cut your teeth on these wines that um, weren't around as much and aren't, weren't at that time as well universally regarded as, as they are today. Yeah. And then when we would, you know, get off work and go grab a bite at Invino or some sort of wine bar back then, we'd ask for, you know, a bottle of the Tarassi. You know, 23-year-olds um, back in 2006 or so. Right. Um, you know, I, I think or we Oto. were... We spent way too much money Way too much. Way too much Oto. Yeah. That was crazy. God, okay. those were great times. Those were um, really... Yeah. Okay, so you, you did a bunch of stuff. You worked in retail, and then uh, you worked for a distributor, and uh, we actually were roommates working for the same distributor, which, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of funny. Um, and then you were, went back to retail, and then you decided to make this big massive move and kind of upend your life in new york and bring your your wife mm-hmm. and your and your adorable uh dog uh to uh to charleston yeah so kind of back up a little bit um after culinary school ended mm-hmm. and then a few months at italian wine merchants i decided to focus on wine full-time mm-hmm. uh moved to italy for a year uh florence uh specifically and then you know remotely rekindled a uh college relationship which forced me to come back to New York. That was kind of never the plan. But then to, you know, kind of... Uh, who's now your lovely wife. No, who's now my lovely wife, and we have a lovely son as well. Um, you know, to solidify that and, you know, build a future there. Um, she was working 9 to 5. I decided to work to 9 to 5 as well. And, uh, again, you know, wine retail, events, um, eventually moved on to Sotheby's Auction House, which was a really cool, you know, unique experience for... Wow, about a year and a half or two years. Mm-hmm. And then we had family down in Charleston, South Carolina. We'd been in New York for six years at that point and um, loved visiting. Um, and just the restaurant scene down there was intense. Um, 
an amazing per capita. I mean, right. probably How many still restaurants, even, good restaurants per capita, more than anywhere I mean, I've been, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll let Jeremiah chime in on this, but... It's, yeah, it's definitely a lot of great dining down there, um, anywhere you turn. Yeah. And uh, just on a few visits, McCready's had always been my, my favorite restaurant. You know, I thought it was, you know, after eating out in New York, you know, once or twice a week on whatever budget you had, um, I thought it was the, you know... Close, you know the the closest restaurant down there to kind of challenging, um, you know uh, the the top restaurants in New York City, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and was fortunate to land a job there right away. Um, you know, started started at Expo, standing next to him, and and you know finishing dishes. You know, culinary background certainly helped with that. Um, to you know quickly moving into the Som side, and. Uh, Two years later, um, kind of got together and decided to move up north. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, tell us about, uh, from my understanding, uh, your time at McGrady's, you were really instrumental in um, working with, I know it's something that, that Chef Brock is also really a, a big promoter of, but working with like local ingredients and, and foraging, um, what got you interested in, in that? I would say just the... Uh the landscape and the environment of Charleston. It's a really incredibly beautiful area. I think at the time I had uh, gone and done a stage in uh, Denmark. And when I came back, I was very excited and interested about foraging. At that point in time, mm-hmm. it was very kind of, uh, I guess, in vogue, you could say. And uh, I knew that Charleston had to have a lot of that stuff, you know, whether it be by the seaside or inland a little bit so i started kind of combing through everything and we had already been on a pathway to developing a you know cuisine very distinct to the low country that's you know been sean's mission for a long time so uh i just did my best to kind of add to it as much as possible Mm -hmm. with a lot of the wild ingredients and native ingredients in the area yeah i remember having an outstanding meal when you're a chef there and i came into Alyssa and alex and his wife um it was it was amazing but you know what i'm really curious what did you think of this guy when you first met him. It was his first, I think that was your first time front of house in a I, restaurant I can, ever. I can answer the reverse question, but I'll let him go. I'll let him go first because I'm really curious. Well, this was about you, so let's... It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually pretty funny. When he walked in, I think the entire kitchen staff looked at everyone and was like, oh, he's pretty. He looks, <laughs> he looks good. He, uh, I think, uh, you know, we're used to a lot of... There's a lot of people in Charleston who are, you know, take their food seriously and, and do it, but they may be kind of beach bums or surfers, you know, and he came in yeah. and actually was one of the first people that saw looked very professional and took the job very seriously. And as someone in the kitchen, it's really nice to see that because, you know, we've obviously dedicated our lives, most people push, in push, serious push, kitchens. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so to see somebody else who's taking that side just as seriously and really wants to focus and, and do a great job was actually really, really cool. So it was something that we were really excited for. Nice. Yeah, you have a you have a face for the front of house, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> a little jokes. I also have a face for radio, but not the voice. Um, no, I mean, uh, I remember telling my wife a, a you know a week or two, um, you know that just meeting this guy, you know, Chef Jeremiah. Um, you know, I don't know what he's going to do, but whatever he decides to do in the future, I want to follow him. Um, and yeah, almost in the first week or two, almost verbatim. You know, I saw his work ethic. I saw his energy. I you know I saw. Food that I'd never seen before um, and uh, preparations I'd never seen before. And, uh, you know, I didn't know where my role in, you know, in the restaurant at that point was going to take me. Um, you know, it took me to get in a good place. But, um, you know, eventually working alongside him every day, we had a four-course prefix menu and a 12-course tasty menu. I mean, they would go from 18 courses to 12 courses to 15 courses, just kind of depending on what mm-hmm. they had. 
And uh, every day, you know, we had to we had to create a wine pairing for it. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, we had two other amazing sommeliers and our wine director um, to assist, but um, it was a really great deep professional relationship and it was a hundred percent professional relationship. And, um, you know, I think there, this grew a, a, a mutual respect and, um, I mean, I don't think we'd ever even grabbed a drink socially, no. you know, until it's <laughs> a lot of fun working together. Yeah. It was really nice with the position that we had set up where someone would come in and work on expo with the chef. It was, you know, it was something that we did for people to kind of train and, and learn more, but obviously there was certain people who did better than others, and Alex was definitely one of those people, and uh, it was really refreshing and great, and I think that yeah. helped immediately form a, a much tighter bond, and then we just, we tended to see, you know, eye to eye on, on most things in the restaurant, you know, like, whether it be something as simple as, you know, oh, wow, that person's shirt's not iron. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, or, you know, whatever it was, you know, just a number of little things and anecdotes. That that, kind of, yeah, know. that kind of pissed us off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if, I had, if, I, if I had the ability to reprimand that person. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm sure, you know, and I, I've known Alex for a long time, and I know he's a very like, exacting, dedicated, professional person. Um, but I'm sure it was also probably really helpful that he had that, that back-of-house experience, both working in kitchens and culinary school. Um, and I, I noticed that on your, uh, that you guys also tried to do some level of understanding between back-of-house and front-of-house, right, having stages in, in both. Can you talk about that program a little bit? Because that's something I want to do when we oh. open up a new restaurant. Yeah, at, yeah. at the at the Dabney at the right Dabney now. now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you do kitchen trails for your servers and all that. And vice stuff. versa. Yeah. And vice yeah. versa. Yeah. We and it's part of the reason why you know from the very beginning I think it was you know born of our relationship together and we you know coming from both sides of it formed a very you know tight bond and it's something that we wanted to really carry through you know it's you know neither of us you know I don't think anybody wants to have a restaurant where you have any sort of animosity between the back mm-hmm. or front of house. And especially with the open kitchen and the setup that we have at the Dabney, it's kind of, you know, it can't happen. So uh, we, you know, created a a program for our back of house members to work in the front and front of house members to work in the back to kind of, you know, uh, understand each other's tasks and roles and and how hard it may be and how different it may be so that people can work together better. Yeah. Um, So as opposed to a server coming in at 3.30, family, you know, family meal up, clock in at 4, if if you're on the schedule that week, you come in at noon. And, you know, you assist in a station, you know, obviously we're not going to really have them do anything that's going to compromise, work in the station, compromise a guest experience, but you know, through cleaning and breaking down at the end of the night. So, you know, two, two AM, two thirty AM, 14 hour shift. It's a full um, um, kitchen shift. You know, just, yeah, a mutual respect on both parts. And, you know, if, if a front of house is staging back and, you know, the cook sees how hard and energetic the front of house person is, even though mm-hmm. they're, they're doing their job that, you know, it's, it's really successful and it's been successful so far. Yeah. It's really yeah. great. It's something I think I'm going to institute at any restaurant that I work at in the future. It's a great idea. I yeah. I mean, it. you ha- you have to make make sure you have enough staff, yeah. you know, and be able to fill that schedule with one of them, mm-hmm. you know, going back house that day. Um, All right. One, one question we have to go to break, but, uh, I, I want to know about the, you said that it was just like a professional work relation. You didn't even go out and grab a drink together, but what there had to be, was it a moment at work that, that you guys discussed moving to DC and, and opening a restaurant together? Do you remember, do you remember it, how that came about? It was, I mean, he, you know, maybe he hasn't ex- expressed it to me, but literally it was like, Hey Alex, you want to grab coffee tomorrow morning? Okay. That was it. That was yeah. the first, I think that was the first time we'd ever seen each other outside of work. 
it had developed kind of naturally. And I was, you know, I obviously had plans in my brain, you know, and was thinking about because, I mean, for me, there, I think there's a lot of chefs that make a huge mistake of just thinking that they're going to go handle a restaurant themselves and not understand that a, you know, a restaurant is, is equal parts front and back of house, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, finding somebody that I wanted to be kind of my partner in that endeavor was really important. And we had kind of, you know, I'd been developing that relationship as we went. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it eventually turned into, you know, a lot of, you know, strong cocktails at the gin joint (laughs) after work as we kind of, you know, hash out the business plan and things like that. But the idea wasn't that, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It wasn't a couple buddies getting beers late night. We should open a restaurant. It was, I I think. Born out of a professional respect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we're going to take a Fortunately, we became friends. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but after the break, I want to know what it's like to be in Washington, D.C. right now running a restaurant. Uh, I'm sure you get all sorts of politicians there, but we'll, we'll talk about that after the break. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. Since 2003, they've focused on making collecting easier and more enjoyable. With over 1.8 million bottles in storage across five facilities, Domain is the largest network of wine storage warehouses in the country. Warehouses are located in Chicago, St. Louis, Metro New York, Napa, and Washington, D.C., with refrigerated shipment hubs in dozens of cities. Their service also extends to the home collector. In the last decade, the team has organized and inventoried more than 1.7 million bottles in home sellers across the globe. Recently, Domain has launched a marketplace where clients can buy and sell wine. Trading in the network ensures that wines are stored at Domain facilities and the commissions are the lowest in the industry. Go to DomainStorage.com to complete an online questionnaire and someone will get back to you within one business day. All right, we're back with Jeremiah Longhorn and uh, Alex Zink. You have the chef and uh, GM and partners of the Dabney, which is absolutely one of mine and uh, my girlfriend Alyssa's favorite, favorite restaurants in the United States. It was our one of our best meals of last year. Um, actually, maybe two of my best meals of last year because I came twice. We got a comment card recently that said, our third best meal of the year. <laughs> third best meal. Yeah. Third, our third best meal of the year. Yeah. Well, like, thank you. <laughs> Well, if this is, if they're like the Michelin people who only eat at like the top fifty restaurants, maybe that's okay. But it was yeah. just that's an awesome. What's that been like? Actually, congratulations! Tell us uh, as your first you know, Michelin star at the restaurant. Like, what, what was that whole experience like? I remember Alex and I were in uh, Italy together for a harvest for Anona. Like a week before the week uh, before. announcement. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I hope he gets this because he wants it so badly. And you're going to be, we'd be really bummed. And you deserve it. I mean, it was, it was something that was never, when we decided to open a restaurant in Washington, D.C., obviously there was no guide there. Um, And uh, so it was, you know, I remember even talking about it. It's like, well, I guess we'll never win a Michelin star, you know. And then, um, so we opened Halloween night of 2015. And in May, they announced that they were doing a guide that fall. And um, it didn't really hit me. 
uh, right away that, oh, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Um, that, I mean, we were just trying to survive at that point. And uh, um, that there was, you know, the ramifications or, or mm. the expectations or, you know, what have you. And um, they also announced in the guide that they had already been uh, reviewing and dining around, which kind of scared the shit out of us. Yeah, because um, <laughs> you thought you got through the review period. You had like the, your major local reviewers come through, and you're like, and, oh, you know, take and, a breath. and you know, <laughs> right? Nationally distributed magazines and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was, it was really nonstop for the first six eight months. Um, yeah. You know, fortunately, we were busy. You know, um, and uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it was, uh, it, it, we always thought it would have been cool. You know, there had been, been a couple disappointments, you know, yep. you could have said um, along the lines that kind of set us back a little bit. I mean, anytime you open a restaurant, you want to be confident in what you're doing and you think what you're doing is great. Um, and so, you know, at the end of August or September, we were just, you know, we had a really busy summer. Our, our best months ever were August and September, which is, wow. which is kind of crazy in the restaurant That's business. Great. Um, and then uh, we'd always heard that the guide president or whatever um, calls the day before and asks for the chef owner's cell phone number. Um, and uh, we were in a meeting um, about our uh, renovation of our basement, mm-hmm. which maybe we can mention. And, um, you know, they asked for Jeremiah and my cell phone numbers. And we're just like, holy shit. So yeah, I still thought that we weren't going to get it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's just like assume that you're going to lose anything that you're trying to get because it's so much less of a blow when you don't get it that way. Yeah, he's a yeah. Jeremiah's a pessimist. I just stay quiet. Yeah, <laughs> I would much rather. Well, it's just like and, it's and, so and, damaging because everybody starts to you start to get this vibe, especially in a restaurant where like you know you really want to keep a positive um, mood mm-hmm. and vibe with your staff, and it's like if everybody starts to assume that they're going to be winning things, you know, like. The way that they treat the guests, the way that everything works is, it, you know, starts to change the dynamic a little bit. So we like to make sure that everybody, you know, we just we just decided to do what we do. You know, we didn't change anything. There was no there was no and we, we never, still haven't. Yeah. Yeah. We never held a meeting with the staff and said, hey, we're, we're going for this. You know, this is something that we got to do. We didn't say shit. We just kept on doing what we do. Right. And like if this is because it's the restaurant that we wanted. You know, so whether we we won a Michelin star for it or not, we were doing what we wanted mm-hmm. to do. You know, and I thought that was um, really important. So, from my experience speaking with people, I've, I've unfortunately never worked in a Michelin star restaurant. Uh, is that once you get the Michelin star, um, it attracts these kind of well-heeled international diners in a way that, you know, that it hasn't, uh, you know, they, all of a sudden there's, there's people who are like looking at what are the Michelin star restaurants in town? I'm going to go, I'm going to go there. But it seems to me that DC is such a unique place because it already has so many people from all over the world, people who are so involved in politics. What, what is it like in general in to have to open a restaurant in the DC, I imagine it's like drastically different from Charleston. Yeah, uh, I mean, we didn't know yeah. when you know, and I think, and I think maybe that's where we found a niche, and you know, we're a little bit different. Is you know, we didn't do market research. You know, it's not like we came in with uh, you know this. I mean, we have we have a, our market a, research was Alex and I walking around the city over and over again. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, we weren't looking into demographics of neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We weren't looking into. Um, you know what the trend was at that point um and so you know i think what we you know originally developed and what we still have are is just a great set of neighborhood regulars um and then you know with any notoriety you get outside 
that brings in, you know, whatever politicians or, or international travelers or, or, or things like that, which is awesome. You know, I'm not going to deny it. It's great. Um, but uh, I think at our core, we we do what we do, and if those international travelers like it, mm. um, awesome. If they don't, it's you know we're yeah. still doing just fine. Um, okay, so I have to ask though, what has it been like to be in D.C. in the restaurant industry in these last few months since the election? Uh, <laughs> it must be crazy. I mean, I remember. I mean, the, in in Brooklyn, we the, the I think the following weeks after. I mean, I was at the dog park the morning after, and people were just like sobbing, like strangers yeah. going into each other's arms. Uh, what what has it been like it's, there? DC is DC is certainly a bubble. I mean, when you get ninety, I think it's ninety seven point eight or ninety eight point seven of the of you know DC residents that voted, you know, opposite of what ended up happening, and um, so there was this. The, there the was city. yeah there was a little bit of gloom you know and um but then again you know people needed the day after the election we, you know we thought oh we'll get some people you know it was actually really quiet you know i kind of didn't expect that but i get it and um you know people have have gotten over it people are excited um you know dc is in a much different spot than it was eight years ago um in terms of mm-hmm. young people coming in and staying and small businesses thriving and, and things like that so you know, we'll continue to do what we do and all of our friends will continue to do what they do. And, um, you know, what we welcome everybody. It's exciting. You know, we're, we're newbies to DC. So, um, you know, just kind of take it as it comes. And, you know, when the inauguration next weekend is going to completely screw us (laughs) (laughs) in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, security. And so we're right by the convention center, which is having two of the, two of the three major balls. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and their secret service is creating a, a red line perimeter and all public transportation is getting shut down. And Which we're to, inside of. You have to go through a secret service checkpoint with dogs and metal, you know, and metal detectors. Um, that's D.C. Um, yeah. You know, so. So your guests will have to, in order to yeah. like, I have a reservation yeah. at the Dabney tonight. Like, mm-hmm. okay, like, give us your blood. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. we, uh, you know, we certainly, you know, since the, since the guide and, of course, getting up to... Uh, you know, the change in administration, we're certainly getting a lot more requests for large parties, mm-hmm. um, eight, 10, 20, things like that. Um, but huge we're a, parties, huge parties, but we're a, we're huge. a, we're a 50 seat restaurant. So we're, we're quite small and we don't, we have one table that accommodates more than four people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> you know what? I forgot. This is actually a show about beverage. So I want to ask you about your, about your beverage program. Yeah, so you have like outstanding cocktails. I know that, I know that you're a big fan of, uh, of cider, uh, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that sticks out for your, from looking at your wine list, which is, which is awesome. Every bottle on that list is, you know, is, is worth drinking. Um, is that it's an, it's a European folk and li- focus list. And a couple of Virginia wines. A couple of Virginia wines. And, uh, it, you know, it's funny because, you know, in the kitchen, um, you know, we try to showcase the Mid-Atlantic at its best. Um, and, you know, over time, I, I love the Virginia wine board. I love Virginia wineries. I love, you know, the the direction they, they want to go. And they're all very successful. Um, let's not let's not deny that. Just because they're not on every single wine list around, you know, the Mid-Atlantic doesn't mean that they're not doing great. Um, but... What I put on my limited 50, 60 bottle wine list um, is inspired by the kitchen. And, um, you know, I go for high acid, you know, non-oak driven whites, reds, and sparkling um, to complement Jeremiah's food. And, um, you know, if, if 
Virginia wines don't, as a as a grouping, don't mm-hmm. fit into that. And I guess that's really not fair. It's like saying if Burgundy wines don't fit into that or Bordeaux wines don't fit into that, there's certainly those that are and aren't. Um, but right now it's about 10% of the list that includes Virginia wines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I hope that grows. Um, you know, we've got eight more years on our lease. Um, and uh, I find them really exciting. Um, you've had some of those great winemakers on the show here. And, uh, you know, I want to support them as best I can. But when I'm looking for, you know, um, when you have a really limited uh, wine list, you know, it's either or. I can't I can't put both on. So, so. this is my deduction from looking at the list. And I, I want to know what, what you guys think. Like, Jeremiah, your food is so representative of the, the bounty of the mid-Atlantic, of, of what's, what's around you. And the wine list isn't necessarily about the wines that are around you, but about producers who really can showcase what's around them in a true, Absolutely. pure way. Right? Yep. Um, I'm very producer-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a lot of respects, I wish I had a larger list so I could carry, you know, every wine by Eric Texier, you know, or, mm. or, or something like that, who's just, who's just a favorite of mine, or Olga Raffel, or, you know, Bernal Baudry. Um, but, you know, we can kind of, uh, we are going to get to the point where I'm going to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, keeping a wine list fun, inexpensive. Um, I've started to add some some pricier bottles, but when I say pricier, not by, not pricey by New York standards um, or even DC standards. Oh, yeah. You know, I think my most expensive wine right now is Domaine de Pegau Chateauneuf du Pop Reserve, and it's 140 bucks. I know. Um, Every time I'm like, you have rich people coming in here, you yeah. can sell more expensive <laughs> yeah. wine. I mean, it's it's awesome that there are so many uh, just approachably priced like. I remember the first time I came, I was like, wow, I can afford every bottle on this list. Like, how often do you go to a Michelin star restaurant and you can afford every single bottle it, on a wine it, list? It, like, it's, you know, it, it sounds easy to just throw something on. But when, you know, we're a small restaurant mm-hmm. and we had our budget, you know, our, our budget in every category opening up, you mm-hmm. know. And I had a $15,000 budget for the, for, the wine, for the wine list, you know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's a shock or, or whatever to other people, but it works and it feels comfortable, you know. And, um it's it's fun for the staff to you know constantly it's challenging you know obviously and but comfortable for them to you know constantly and and our regulars to uh you know explore new wines and ciders and cocktails on a you know on a on a daily or weekly or, or whatever basis um i never wanted a library list you know when you're general manager co-owner um you know your your hands get pulled in other directions that i can't just sit there and you know do a you know a 200 or 300 selection list every Mm -hmm. day and you know do inventory for four hours you know once a month it's just uh um but i find it fun yeah but Um, how do you feel about that as someone who's like uh who has worked in the wine industry you showed a true like passion and love i mean we shared so many great bottles of wine together and now moving on to this other new hat for you that's more of a business focused a general manager and operations focused hat that Obviously, also, you're putting together that wine list, and it doesn't seem like an, an afterthought when you look at it. It seems very, very well thought through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but um, how, how do you feel about focusing on something different now? Um, it's nice to get pulled back to a place where you feel comfortable. You know, um, when you start managing staff and personalities and do this, you know, when you do the schedule, which is actually really challenging, um, and, you know, you... You know, you are that point person mm-hmm. to deal with, uh, you know, perhaps a disgruntled guest, you know, whereas the wine director doesn't have to do that. Or, 
um, you know, update the website on a daily basis or do payroll, you know, the, that's, but the that's sexy, but, the sexy part, but of that's the, real industry, life yeah. in the restaurant business, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, you know, and I don't know, and maybe in one small aspect, that's what's made us successful is because every single thing that goes on in the restaurant, Jeremiah and I have a hand on, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, everything's well curated. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's, there's not, we don't have to rely on anything from anybody outside the restaurant. Obviously we have amazing support. We have an amazing director of operations. We have an amazing bar director and service manager, you know, and executive sous chef and sous chef. Um, but you know, when your owner operators are in the restaurant every single day, um, it, uh, you know, there's, there's a sense of honesty. Yeah. I think that comes across. Yeah. And it seems every like everything is very well thought through from the 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 space itself. You walk and you walk through an alleyway. It's gorgeous. The decor, the service, the wine selection, the cocktails, and the food. Um, and Jeremiah, I do want to talk about the food a little bit. It's so everything you have is cooked uh, in an open hearth. Uh, and how how do you find that uh, the bounty from the Mid Atlantic is different from what you're experiencing in Charleston? Uh, well, it's it's way different just based upon. We could have uh, another two shows on this. Yeah, <laughs> just based Sum upon up in one minute. Yeah, based upon climate and kind of uh, and you know just general environment. You know, up here we have access to a lot of things from the mountains which we didn't have down mm. there um you have the beautiful amazing dairy yeah the, wow. yeah that was something that was very missing down south that's great up here there's a lot of incredible dairy coming out of pennsylvania the chesapeake bay is absolutely amazing there's just the you know the piedmont region of virginia is amazing there's a lot of great farms there and a lot of wonderful stuff coming from there and uh it's uh yeah it's just a, it's a whole new set of things to focus on you know i couldn't get local celery down south you know and actual seasons up here yeah remember we had two tomato seasons and two strawberry seasons down in charleston yeah sounds weird yeah Yeah, it's uh (laughs) it's uh it's a little bit tougher but you get to embrace all those things a lot more which is great and it's a lot of fun um and believe it or not there is a crab season up in the mid-atlantic we can't have crab on our menu right now yeah That's awesome. I mean, the food's the food's outstanding. I, and I want to finish up talking about what you guys have um, on the uh, horizon. You guys, you're in New York because you're doing research for an upcoming wine bar, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to tout it too much. Um, so we have this really awesome well, touted in a humble way. <laughs> so we uh, we took a chance on this kind of 1920s industrial alley off the beaten path. I mean, there's people that have lived in Washington D.C. for 20 plus years that have never heard of it you know never heard of it we're we're, you know as a a crow flies to the white house we're probably about a mile um and we're set back um kind of hidden um which is where you would enter the dabney and then we have uh what dc is famous for and you know certainly brooklyn is kind of what what are called english basements and um we have a back of house entrance from 9th street which is a major thoroughfare that enters into a, a thousand square foot basement all historic brick walls um 14, 15 foot ceilings that right now is chair storage um, or, uh, or pickling uh, jar or storage, pick, pickling jars and, you know, dehydrators and, and what have you. Um, if there's but it an was open always, space in a restaurant, like someone will find a way to fill it. Yeah. Um, but oh, it was, yeah, but when we signed our lease, it was, that was probably, you know, the, uh, the feather in the cap was this, was this space with a separate entrance connected by back of the house operates on the same liquor license. Um, you know, Price per square foot, we pay less down there than we pay up where, you know, the actual restaurant is right now. 
So we're in the midst of uh, we said one year in we'll we'll tackle that, and we're you know just over a year plus that we're going to open up you know about an eight hundred square foot um, kind of shellfish charcuterie, uh, wine cocktail den. I, I I don't you know I don't even know what we. It's going to be no separate branding. It's just going to be kind of cool. You'll kind of find it. Um, we're really excited about it. It's another new little outlet. Um, I, I noticed your hesitance to call it. Yeah, it's. I mean, you have cocktails there. The the idea of a wine bar. I mean, a lot of it's been so bastardized. Right? It has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so many crappy ones. But we have we, we have just an amazing bar director who, you know, is going to shine down there as well. And it's you know it's going to be a little bit hidden to a certain <laughs> extent. Um, but I. I you know, but I, I, I think it'll be exciting and it's just, it's going to be beautiful. Um, yeah. And so wine list upstairs, the Davney is, is purely European driven, you know, and to expand on that downstairs, you know, move into some amazing boutique producers out of California and, you know, in South America and things like that. And just big chalkboard, you know, this is, this is what we have today. And, um, shellfish display kind of all that stuff so yeah it'll be a good opportunity to showcase a lot of the things that you know we're not necessarily producing so much in the kitchen like upstairs but that other great people and producers in the Mm. region are producing you know like great cured meats cheeses you know all sorts of stuff like that oysters whatever it may be um just things that we really think are are at the peak of quality for the area supporting more people Yeah, that's and so that would be kind of the chef's version of what we do in uh, in the wine world, and that's being a curator of other people's exactly. good work. Yep, absolutely, yeah. Which I think is good work. It's fun. Itself. I'm excited for it. Um, you know, <laughs> the ironic part is we've just kind of you know, hence being up up in New York for three days, has kind of carved out a uh, pretty quote unquote comfortable, you know, sort of getting executive sous chefs and other managers in a in a place of comfort where we can leave the restaurant for a night yeah. um to <laughs> adding to that chaos and having to get back to the old schedule but that but that's exciting you know and that's and that's you know why you push and mm-hmm. you know and, i know you just got here yesterday but any highlights so far in terms of eating and drinking yeah uh, yeah yeah I mean, I mean, stella last night was amazing yep so absolutely um, that food. yeah we uh we popped into wild air wild air and had incredible. some delicious dishes such nice people um bavette yeah, Bavette, that was super cool. We I had some it. delicious cheeses at Bavette. Yeah. I'd never been before. Alex took me, and it's, uh, it's, I always am amazed by the way people are able to use space in New York City. It's one of the most in- incredible things to witness, how someone can be so efficient in such tiny little areas, and it's really cool to see. So whenever, when anybody who has a restaurant always thinks that they don't have enough space, you know, but it's nice to see someone who's working a little bit tighter. It really doesn't sometimes. have enough space. And then you realize to be grateful for what you got, you know, and kind yeah. of think a little bit more outside the box um and then yeah then we've got two more full days and head back for friday's you know just in time for friday's service so i think we'll we'll spend some time in brooklyn tonight and uh yeah you know everyone's asking what our itinerary is but there's too many to just it's got to be a feeling at that moment so yeah we ended up just we <laughs> it's funny in dc there's you know i love this city but you have your favorites um and in new york it's like you don't want to make the wrong decision because there's so many great yeah. places to go and you have yeah. such limited time oh so. i blew it yeah i didn't blow it but i blew it you know yeah uh, i think i usually only have two dinners when i go to dc and, and unless i will we'll go to like little sarah and you guys and that's it and but i think it's need i need to yeah there, no there's there's yeah, absolutely there's a lot more. more it's a fun city and a lot of it's such a great community and, and uh you know 
lot of very exciting people right now. It's all in neighborhoods, though, which is so great about the way the city's developed. Mention the difference between now and eight years ago. The city's neighborhoods have all really developed a lot, and mm-hmm. people have really decided to live in D.C. again and, and really call D.C. home. It's not just a place that you, you know, serve a term at a, at a firm or with, you know, a senator or a congressman. Um, so it's, uh, it's becoming a really, really wonderful city for everybody to come kind of, you know, have that neighborhood community vibe. All right, guys, we have to, we're like way over, but I just, I love you guys. I just want to keep talking. (laughs) Oh, that was so quick. Maybe I'll get some pizza. Um, And for all of you, though, for all of you guys who are listening, go down to D.C. If you live in the Northeast, it's it's actually much closer than you think. The museums are free. The food is great. Check out these guys when you're down there. Uh, I want to thank uh, Heritage Radio and for being super patient with uh, with us this morning for going way over. Thank you so much, David, our engineer, David Tadashore, and for all you thank guys you, David. Uh, for thank listening. You. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.